What makes some place good? Think about a good place that you know and love. What makes that place someplace good? Maybe it's the weather. You know, a place where the weather is always awesome. Yes, I wish I lived there too. <laughs> Every February, Nikki and I have this running monologue. Why are we born in this country? Oh, all the benefits, of course, of living in this great nation are lost, to us at least, in the month of February. Maybe it's the weather that makes some place good. Or it's natural setting. I don't know if you've been to the Amalfi Coast. I want to go someday. Nikki's family is from Italy, so they know it well. Many of our friends have been there, and they send us these rapturous pictures. And we only hate them a little bit in our heart. <laughs> the natural setting is pretty epic. We were on Georgian Bay yesterday. The natural setting even here in our own backyard is just epic. At one point, Sam and I jumped off a cliff. I checked it out in advance and swam down 16 feet, and the cliff just continued 16 feet until we couldn't see anymore. We just flipped around 16 feet under and just let our oxygen bring us back up to the surface into the rays of the sun. Maybe the Amalfi Coast isn't so awesome after all. <laughs> Maybe it's a place where there are many things to do. A place where you're going to be kept busy. That's my wife's idea of a good time. She was talking with a member of our congregation, asking him how he survives three weeks vacation. Only my wife would ask somebody how they could survive three weeks of downtime. He's crazy like her, so he explained to her his routine, which involves biking for longer than I've ever biked in my life, and then kayaking for longer than I've ever kayaked in my life, and something torturous called a kettlebell workout, which I don't even know what that is, but it doesn't sound fun. Something to do. That makes a place someplace good. Maybe it's its history. Have you been to Paris? Paris itself is awesome. The people I've, you know, I kind of struggle with. I was keeping it real with you. I'm from French ancestry, so I can slag my ancestors. De Chanteloup, the city of Chanteloup is still in existence in France. It's where we're from. Three of William the Conqueror's ship's captains were De Chanteloup, Cantillons. And they just hate me like I'm from Canada or something. I tried to speak the French I learned in our Canadian school system, and they were just so disgusted that I would mar their language with my uncouth tongue. I'm like, I'm trying. <laughs> Paris, it's pretty nice. London, London's cool. I should, have picture, I should have put a picture of Rome. Rome is my favorite out of all three. History in Rome, too, actually. Cantalupo. Way back in the Middle Ages. But a place's history doesn't make it into someplace good. You know what makes a place someplace good? It's people. It's people. It's suffering people. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. I love that meddling is equated with murder. Somebody better repent today. 
Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, let her not be ashamed, but let them glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, quote, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Pretty sure our worship leader read this passage this week because the song selection dovetails so beautifully with the content of the text. Here's the big idea from today's passage. Suffering is the secret to becoming God's neighborhood. I know it's not usual to give you the thesis off the top. Suffering is the secret to becoming God's neighborhood. And of course, God's neighborhood is the ultimate good place to be. And a little known fact about God's people is that you are in the business of making the whole world into God's neighborhood as you learn to suffer well. Here's how. Verse 12, beloved. I know I made this point the last time I came to the word beloved in the text, but oh well, here it is again. Beloved, be loved. That's how you suffer well. Know that you are dearly and deeply loved by God himself. Be loved. Beloved. You're loved by God and by many of God's people. I can't say all because let's be real, (laughs) right? Not everybody loves you. Not everybody loves me, that's for sure. Help me, Jesus. God loves you and many of his people love you too. So live like it. You feel like everybody hates you? Having a bad week? I'm thinking of some of you right now. I know you had bad weeks recently. You ever feel like everybody everybody hates me? I can start crying if I talk about too much, so I'll move on. Not everybody hates you. God loves you. And many of his people do. So live like it this week. What would it look like for you this week to live like the loved? You can hashtag that, put on a sticker, live like the loved. (laughs) Somebody shout. Live like the loved and, continue verse 12, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. (laughs) You just say, huh, you're like... Why is this happening to me? Don't be surprised when serious suffering comes. What does Peter call it? Fiery trial. I had a dream last night that my house caught fire. It's a bad situation. I also had my classic can't get to the church on time dream last night. I told you about these dreams, a nightmare. I'm preaching for y'all. We were about, there's 2,000 people in the service. I can't find my notes. I go into my office to find my notes. They're not there. So I figure I'll go for a drive to find my notes. Bad idea when you're in a can't get to the church on time dream. I end up lost in the city. It's a disaster. Then I show up to church and y'all have brought in some like group of 
I don't even want to be prejudiced, but like, it was music from like an era that is gone from a place that we don't want to go. I was like, man, I let my guard down for two seconds and this is what we're singing. Of course, it's all my fault because I wasn't there to lead well. I was terrible. I woke up like, <coughs> seems so real too. You're like, oh, you wake up, you're relieved. You're like, okay, whoo, I got a chance to redeem myself today. Serious trial comes. Don't be surprised when a serious trial comes. Fiery trial. Suffering is probably the most undersold aspect of the Christian life. Probably the least preached. If you're a math person, maybe do it someday, Zachy. Like, write a computer program that will serve every sermon ever posted online. Maybe just confine it to North America. See how many of them are about suffering. I bet you it's the gross minority. And because of this, as Christians, we're often surprised when bad things happen, and the shock is the worst. Isn't that the worst? You ever had something bad happen to you that shocked you? Peter, God's apostle, knows is why he says, don't be surprised. Yet we're always surprised when bad things happen, aren't you? Because somebody, show me your hand, testify with me. You ever been surprised by something bad? You're like, what'd I do? And then you start self-recriminating, like, did I do something bad? It's my fault. It's God cursing me. Especially you come from like a mainline background that was heavy on guilt. You're like, this is my fault. <laughs> the shock is the worst. Don't be surprised when suffering comes upon you. Suffering is coming. It's inevitable. Don't be surprised. It's inevitable. It'll be bad. It's a fiery trial. And it's personal. It comes upon you. Not someone else, you. So maybe work to adjust your mindset this week. You know, being Jesus' friend does not equal bliss. Might help you as you learn to suffer well. But why? Why why do we have to suffer? What does the text say? When it comes upon you too, to test you. Suffering is a test. You've got to ask yourself, is your love of Jesus, is your trust in Jesus conditional on good times? Dang it. (laughs) I mean, how convicting is that? Let's sit there for a second. I'm slouching, I know. My wife sit up straight, man. Is my love of Jesus, is your love of Jesus, is your trust in Jesus conditional on good times? As soon as Kath and the team started singing that new song, You Never Failed Me Yet, I thought about when my brother Robbie died in a building accident on the mission field as a missionary in Africa. A tool exploded in his hand, sliced his aorta, he bled out in a minute. One of the best guys I ever knew. Saint, pastor, preacher, missionary. Best father I ever saw. When he died, I was like, if that could happen to Robbie, all bets are off, man. All bets are off. I went into three years of depression and doubt. So I got to tell you, when I sing that song, that's the image that comes to my mind. And I can still sing it. Because even in Robbie's death, Jesus didn't fail us.
I wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. I won't lie to you. Two years I couldn't sing in church. I just stood there, couldn't sing in church. And one day, middle of worship service, Holy Spirit just hit me. I just started crying, started singing. Realized that God is still good. Robbie actually visited me in a dream one time, rebuked me. <laughs> He's like, Why are you so upset? Here I am in God's presence, and you're all grumpy. Get your mind right. Okay. <laughs> no joke, no word of a lie. Suffering is a test. Trust Jesus until something bad happens to you. What if, what if something bad happens to you? Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where hast thou come? Satan answered the Lord and said, I love this passage, by the way. It's very interesting theology that Satan is free to kind of hang out and come into God's presence. Heavy duty. Um, Satan says, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And to find out what he did to Job, read the story for yourself. Some very bad things happened to Job. Suffering is a test, so prepare for it. My kids have exams. Now that you know suffering is a test, prepare for it. How? By remembering and counting on Jesus. Look at verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory, ooh, when his glory is revealed. How does a Christian respond to suffering? With rejoicing. It's counterintuitive. Why would I rejoice in suffering? Because we share in Christ's suffering. So when you suffer, if you hold in your heart the fact that that suffering is partnering in Jesus Christ's suffering, all of a sudden, you'll find meaning in your suffering. And if the Bible is true, joy. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. It's one of the great testifying shouts of the New Testament that I may know him. Man, this is like one-two punch after one-two punch. If the price of friendship with God is suffering, are you willing to pay the price? 
So every time something bad happens to you, learn to immediately find the way that that something bad is helping you know God more. This can be as innocuous as dealing with a series of red lights. It's ticking you off. To out and out disaster that strikes when you least expect it. Learn, prepare by practicing the kind of awareness that will enable you to recognize how each moment of suffering is bringing you closer to Jesus. Richie, I'm so glad to see you here today, buddy. I love you. I'll tell you why the price is worth it. Verse 13. Well, this gets good. Now we're in like the back half of the sermon. Help me, Jesus. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The twin inevitabilities of suffering and victory. (laughs) The scripture is so rich. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, the inevitability of suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when. Alcoflex. When. When his glory is revealed. Glory is an inevitability. I'll stay calm. I'll stay calm for Sue Bitten. Woosah. How good is that? (laughs) In the same way that suffering is inevitable, so is Jesus' victory. Someday I'll preach that in T.D. Jake's church. you see what happens. Make sure you watch it on YouTube. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> it, that's so good. i got to go to 2 Timothy for a minute. Remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Hallelujah. You should stake your claim on Jesus, friend. Suffering well comes down entirely to whether you believe the story about Jesus or not. Do you believe he's God? Do you believe he came as a man to suffer and die in your place for your sins? And you know you're a sinner. I know it too. To suffer and die on the cross in your place for your sins. And to rise again from death the third day, defeating the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell forever. 
ascending to the Father's right hand, sitting down in victory, a place from whence he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom, which will have no end, a kingdom in which you have a place. Do you believe it or not? The extent to which you believe it is the extent to which you will find yourself able to deal with suffering. Period. Look at verse 14 through 16. Somebody shout. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Well, I can hit the pulpit again. I'm staying calm. But let him glorify God in that name. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Hear me now. Most important point in the sermon. I love you, Slute. It's my man. It's my man, Slute. You should see that man play football. Come see him this fall. I coach that kid. He's the truth. Woo! Tall and fast. Someone hits him. Boom. It jumps right up. Back to the huddle. It's a good kid. You know why people revile you? Most important point of the sermon. They revile you because you are God's neighborhood. <sighs> Verse 14, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Who's first Peter written by? Peter. Of what ethnicity was Peter? He's a Jew. What was the original language of the Jews? Hebrew. What is rest on in the Hebrew? Might lose most of you here. <laughs> Lishkan. From whom we get the word Mishkan, which means dwelling place. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with his people. Hine, Mishkan, Elohim, Im Anashim. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with his people. And wouldn't you know it, from the root word mishkan, we get the Hebrew word shchuna, which means neighborhood. <laughs> is that great or what? They revile you because you're God's neighborhood. Somebody shout. They revile you because the presence of God lives in you. He dwells with you. You're his neighborhood. So look, don't screw it up, man. Keep your lawn mowed. Keep your children and your animals under control. Your garbage put away. And don't... Trample the pansies. <laughs> Father of the Bride 2. Top five movie of all time. <laughs> Don't trample the pansies. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. 
A lot of people hate Christianity because of Christians. Because we're idiots. We pick it when we should be giving hugs. We write angry letters when we should be writing checks. We stand on principle when we should be standing with the broken. We focus on looking good when we should be doing good. I could wrap that. Christianity's bad reputation is often my fault. Might be yours too. Verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? It's that neighborhood idea again. Judgment starts at the household of God. I stand in awe of the internal consistency of the scriptures. You're close to Jesus, you're going to get whooped. Why? Because Jesus did. Period. God is judge. He's holy. Jesus is our only hope. He's also our example. And he laid down his life for others so that they might live. Worship team, I'm done. Can you believe it? Y'all better come. I'm going to worship Jesus. Brian, I wrote a five-page sermon for you today, man. I was like, five pages, baby. Make it good, though. <laughs> trying to watch my watch, watch my language, watch my fists, watch my volume. Keep your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> Preach! Woo! He laid down his life so that we might live. We go and do the same, trusting Jesus to see us through. Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Therefore, So bottom line, thank God for bottom lines. All you practical, bottom line type people, bring it home for you right here. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, next time you suffer, remember that none of it is a surprise to him. None of it is happening outside of the context of his will or beyond the context of his mercy, which has been shown towards you in Christ. So trust him. Trust him. Setting your souls aside for Jesus. This means to entrust. You take your soul, you set that aside for Jesus. You can't have that, devil. That's for Jesus. Your worries can't have it. Your stress can't have it. Your troubles can't have it. Woo! Set your soul aside for Jesus, your faithful creator. Y'all know that Jesus made you, right? He's the uttered 
word, the spoken word of God. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Him was light, and the light was the light of all people. Jesus, the one who gave you life, is your faithful creator. So you can stop worrying and just focus on doing good. So get out there this summer and turn your neighborhood into someplace good. <laughs>